Today's version of El Politico was recorded on Thursday the 4th of November. Terms and conditions may apply and conditions may have changed by the time you hear it. Well, I, I want to sort of uh, veer us over, we'll say, that neck of the woods, we'll say, we had cash for ash before, and we'll say that ultimately it probably half doomed Arlene Foster to a certain extent. It, it hung over mm. her for a long yeah. time, and now Ar- Arlene has left, left the building. But uh, things up north, Paul, um, are probably going to come to a bit of a head, uh, possibly in the next few weeks, because of this famous um, article with mm. the EU. So, give us your thoughts on yeah. where, where you think we're going with Lord Frost. Yeah, it looks like it looks like they're ab- about to invoke. Our, we, we've, this is the second time we've seen it now. There was about two hours there back in February from the Commission in relation to the transportation of vaccines. They were um, talking about invoking Article this 16. This was the EU. The EU was going to invoke. Now they were pushed <laughs> back in their box very quickly um, by Dublin and by um, other mm, mm. capitals around Europe. Um, but it looks now as if there's a deliberate strategy that. The agreement that they came to this time last year, Christmas, Christmas Eve, I think it was last year, um, to get to get Brexit done. The if oven you want ready deal. The oven ready deal got Brexit done, got them over the line in 2019 to create the 80 seat majority in the House of Westminster. So that whole agreement, which was oven ready, which was the best thing ever done, um, is about to be totally thrown. Um, overboard and that yep. they're going to totally renege on all the elements that they agreed on that and just invoke this article 16 just and suspend cause, just because they don't like it they don't like it even, they even negotiated though they negotiated, they negotiated agreed exclusively to and totally they negotiated and themselves signed. wanted the hardest brexit they possibly could have in that they wanted to come out of the customs union wanted to come out of the single market but couldn't again I called them stupid a minute ago. You can't actually be this stupid. You can't be this stupid. That's what makes me nervous about the previous thing we talked about. You can't be this stupid. In coming out of the customs union and the single market, you have to recognise then the border. There has to be a border in some format Mm. on the island of Ireland or between the island of Ireland and the UK. And that was Theresa May painstakingly, and she made a lot of mistakes with her red lines and the whole thing as well, but painstakingly tried to kind of recognise we need the, 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 the customs union and we need the single market. So we create the old phrase now, the backstop, which became totally um, unacceptable to Boris Johnson and the hard Brexiteers. So they created this um, alternative arrangement that was an oven-ready deal um, that did apparently recognise the, um, the difference that might exist in Northern Ireland. And potentially, I think we said it here in this show last year, it offered a unique opportunity to Northern Ireland to actually have its cake and eat it, have the best of both worlds, be part of the UK, and also have free access into the, um, into the European Union. Um, but again, from a kind of a, a narrow party political perspective, some people don't want that. And like I'm talking about the, 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 the strong unionists, the DUP and the traditional unionists don't want that. And um, Frost and Johnson are playing on this now, and it's playing with fire, and it's, it's, it's quite nasty, in invoking Article 16 and kind of reneging what it is that they agreed and displayed to all of us as being the best thing ever. Um, yeah, and I would say, um, would say the man that sort of really and always has had his finger on the pulse in relation to this is Tony Connolly, 
right? Yeah, RT, good, RT's yeah. man good. in Europe. And it's a, they, they, he does a podcast on another station there called RT every week. And I'd advise anyone to have a listen to it if you want to sort of get involved with yeah, it. But there's good. One, just one, one thing that I, I just want to say, I, I don't have the figures uh, fully in front of me here at the minute, but it's basically, as I said, no more than we'll say with Trump uh, gone, Biden nine months. We've had nine months of economic data now post-Brexit. And the slightly surprising thing from what uh, people said at the start of the year is that basically it has shown that um, traffic across the Irish Sea has dropped dramatically. To Hollyhead. To Hollyhead. Okay, so that's Ireland, UK, Mm. right? Uh, Traffic from Ireland to Europe has increased significantly, and that's through Ross Lair and Dublin. Basically, boats are going to France. Like this time uh, last year, I think there might have been six sailings a week going to France from Rosslair. There are now 44. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But one thing it did show is that there is an increase in traffic from the UK into Northern Ireland. And Paul, this goes back to where Mm. we said they have an open goal for them. Yeah, well, economically, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, we, you can look at the economics of, of Northern Ireland or the entity that is that part of the island. Um, for the last hundred years, it was a powerhouse, let's say, as, as, as we became um, the free state and subsequently the republic. Um, and the rest of the country was way behind. Um, because of the troubles that were there then, they really kind of, you know, kind of fell off a cliff economically. They're still, it's still, it's still potentially, whether it's industry or whether it's agriculture, whatever it is, that part of the island is still potentially significant and with this piece of architecture in their armory you know the access to the uk and the access to the eu bang you're 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 one of these kind of peculiar places in the world as i said can have its cake and eat it you know could really take off like a rocket um, economically um which would be very interesting well, you, know, you know the way you know the way the let's say ireland is becoming kind of the the center for all um, data centers in the world kind of, and it's you know it's a it's a political topic and a going future with electricity and so forth i mean northern ireland could have been a warehousing center from a point of view of businesses yes. in the uk that they have a warehouse in northern ireland that gets past all the red tape you ship it yep. into northern ireland it comes down to the republic and further it's on in into e- europe yeah. whatever like that yeah it could be as a, dis- a massive distribution that's the potentiality the yes. for northern ireland with yeah. this agreement with this oven ready deal with this um you know so is it is it is it down to politics and Raw uh, politics. history yeah. of yeah. because you remember, wasn't there a bus hijacked during the week and burnt it, out? And right. They were saying yeah. it's to do with the yeah the, the what's called the border. You, you, have, you have a very small group of kind of loyalist. Um, I don't know if they're paramilitaries at the moment or not, or but loyalis- loyalism. Supporters, that supporters that say, and it, this is real. And even with the DUP, when you look back at it now, right back to 2016, when you had the Brexit referendum, the DUP saw this as an opportunity to put a border back on the island of Ireland. The DUP have never been comfortable with the Good Friday Agreement. They've kept getting brought kicking and screaming um, into it. You know, once Ian Paisley Senior was happy that he was the top dog, then he was happy to partake in it but they've never really believed and they don't and this is politics and how it's going to have to be developed over the next um, generation they've never really believed and when you look at it now the 2016 referendum the more you look at it and how it is that the DUP um, and subsequently when they held the balance of power in, 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 in Westminster and when they dealt with Boris Johnson they have seen this as a kind of a cipher or as a way to actually kind of reintroduce um, a border on the island of Ireland like there's a there's a massive 
circle to be squared or square to be circled in trying to get this concept of unionism, how unionism fits into, you know, um, the potentiality of, 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 of a full 32-county republic. <laughs> this is not, you know, by definition, mm -hmm. it can't actually work. So I think when you look at it now, that's, I think, was the kind of the, the groby politics of it was the Brexit, whatever about the economic um, changes that might happen, the possibility of being able to create a border back on the island of Ireland was a, something that was appealing to some very hardcore unionists, and it still is, but it's a very much a minority. It's very much a minority. If you look at the way unionism is evolving and developing, even the Ulster Unionist Party now in Northern Ireland with their new leader, Doug Beattie, you can see an evolution of the unionist voice. Um, it's not, by definition, it's very difficult to know how you can actually um, uh, change. Yeah. If it is change, maybe it's change from down here. Maybe that's where the change can actually come from to create this scenario whereby... Um, 32, com 32 counties are reflected in a type of Ireland. Yeah. If you know what and I mean. Is it, so, is it, uh, how do you say, economics going to win out eventually? That's a good question. That's a good point as well. You know, if, it's it's let, if it's let, if you can get away from the tribalism, if you can get mm. away from the sectarianism, if you can allow economics to flourish, yeah, I think you could be spot on there, Thomas. Yeah. But if that's allowed to happen, if you're that's burning buses in Newton Arts, yeah, or if you're kind of writing nasty graffiti in Larne, then you're doing... Like, it's amazing. It's only a small group of people can have a significant and powerful Impact. influence. I said yeah. you only need one, Joe Manchin. That's, that's, yeah. that's what I said. Yeah. Just, I, I have the stats uh, there now, we'll say, for me. And this was from Dublin Port, okay, that uh, container fr and freight traffic from uh, the UK declined 21% between January and September of this year compared to last year, which is primarily a, a result of reduced trade with the ports of Holyhead, Liverpool, and Haitian. However, volumes on continental European routes increased by 36%. So it basically meant that if you sort of unit, you add it all up, basically, uh, volumes on routes to Britain now account for just over half, 51% of all trade, whereas before Brexit it accounted for close to two-thirds. Mm. Okay? Uh, but overall trading volumes through the port are down just half a percent for the period. Yeah. You know? So, it, so it's basically, things have pivoted in that yeah. less to the UK, yeah. direct, and yeah. it's more and it's more to Europe. Well, you can see that then. You can see how that manifested itself. You had the famous land bridge, that, this whereby truck drivers in Ireland went to Holyhead, travelled through England, went on then to went on then to Calais or whatever into Europe, and you came back then as well. So you had this land bridge that was the yeah. UK. That land bridge was economically very advantageous to the UK in that you had this traffic had to travel in two directions. So it could distribute a lot of goods. It could create a lot of economic movement by Irish lorries or European lorries traveling across the UK. And you can see them now in the last month, whether it's petrol or whether it's the distribution of goods or whether it's the availability of lorry drivers, they're having a lot of problems in the UK. And not having the land bridge is no doubt that it's actually contributing to those problems. Yeah, as well. the, the irony of it is that it's contributing to it. And, and the irony of it is they don't have these problems up north. Yeah, you know, you've had issues, we'll say, in 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 the UK with sort of shop shelves being empty, mm. and they're given out that they haven't enough truck drivers and all this and all the rest of it. We said it's not a problem here. Mm. You know, there's probably a few issues that are COVID-related, maybe you know, yeah. and the whole the whole um, I suppose trade routes and everything being sort of messed yeah. up as a result of COVID and everything. The like evergreen that. ship, exactly, exactly. You know, but but uh, it, it it's it is an issue. 
we'll say we'll say with, with uh, the UK that they have, but we said the North. I said the results have basically shown that there's a lot of uh, traffic that would previously have come, we'll say, from Wales into Dublin, is now going via the North, North South, and it's and it's coming down mm-hmm. from. Uh, the north into here and because you're avoiding all the bureaucracy because yeah. the way that this uh, whole thing was negotiated well you've also got to remember that there are elements of, the, of that negotiation and terms and conditions that the UK have refused or they've had these windows they've been allowed this period where you don't have where we, this transitional period yeah. and they're not doing it so if it's bad now you can just imagine what it would be like if you know, if they are forced, oh, if, they, if, if forced, they invoke yeah. Article 16, they will then be forced, you know, to, to, to implement. They're not even, you know, there's a bit of, there's an element of a blind eye in aspects of this, of this agreement um, in, 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 in its administrative nature that are being kind of um, accepted at the moment. But if you start upping the ante by invoking Article 16, and by all accounts, it looks like that's what's going to happen. Well, then I would suspect that you will get a very frosty response um, from Europe, and you can even see it in a little bit in a, another little subplot at the moment with Macron in France. He's facing a, a, a domestic election, and we have Barnier is actually up against him. Um, we, 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 we'll be standing for a French president, mm. but he's um, you know you might have seen the little thing about the fishing boats in Jersey stroke the English Channel, mm. you know, and you know that that was a little row this week. Um, but that was about a domestic agenda for Emmanuel Macron in France. But it make it puts serious pressure on the UK very, very quickly. So the invocation of Article 16 as it applies to Northern Ireland, or in, in applying to Northern Ireland, that's a real nuclear button to press. And they seem to be prepared to press it. You know, Frost appears to have this philosophy that um, you got to um, appear that you're mad and that you're not going to back down. <laughs> And that that's how you get results. Yeah. No, he's been pursuing that for the last number of years. He hasn't really got any results, but he still seems to be wanting to pursue it. Do you and know, it's, he, you know, everybody understands him now. They see him now. He's a bluffer. Yeah, I he's suppose, a bluffer. I suppose uh, on talking about sort of presuming that he's mad, I think no better segue could we make to sort of bring things back home. Right? <laughs> as we have our own definitions of madness. So we'll play a song and then we'll talk about things on this side of the fence. Lovely. Okay, we're back and we're back at this side of the pond. And I think we're going to start off with our friends from Sinn Féin. And they had a bit of an Ardesh there, was it the week before last? Last weekend, yeah, was it? yeah, last weekend. I suppose it came under the radar a little bit. Everybody was preparing, getting ready for COP. Is it COP or COP twenty six? COP twenty six. Cop the hell on. Yeah, yeah, yeah time to change but me hold. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> okay, right, Ted. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, Sinn Fein. They had an ordination in Dublin last weekend. Um, you can see. I suppose it ties in a little bit with the Northern Ireland. We were just discussing there as well. You can see. It's becoming quite obvious. Okay, the, the, in the polls, and I think we talked about this in our last show, there, the, there's a very definite commitment fr- from the electorate to Sinn Féin. Now, it's not a kind of a thing that waxes and wanes or kind of goes up and down or kind of falls or rises. It looks like they've got a core vote right across the demog- right across the uh, well, right across the age groups, but most especially in the younger age group. They look like 
Yeah. You know, that, that, that they have strong foundations electorally. At oh, yeah, they, they, uh, they are coming, and I think their time will arrive in the next uh, election. Elect, uh, next, next election. But yeah. I, I suppose no more than. Um, we could allude to there's been very little going on in Fianna Fáil in relation to a sort of a talks about a leader which we'll come back to that in mm. a little bit but basically uh, America Tom where you spoke about the middle ground the independent voter right and for long enough in this country we've alluded to the Sinn Féin vote being a protest vote right and I don't yeah. think the last election especially okay there might have been a percentage of a protest vote but i don't think we can call Sinn Féin a party of protest any longer they're uh, they're here i think they're here to stay mm -hmm. and they are headed for power but they are incorporating as you said paul they've appealed to the younger people they're getting votes from the younger people and the more and more those that come into the system that actually get off their bums and vote is only going to increase that for them but there are things that they are doing in the background to sort of try and become i wouldn't i won't say a huggable party but maybe they're yeah. coming to the middle ground yeah. which is where Most you need definitely. to be that's the point to in appeal Virginia, to the independents yeah. yeah you know the, the people that sort of mightn't like the name Sinn Féin would sort of look at what they're doing go mm. do you know maybe they are a bit so, better than what we have before so less extreme and more al an alternative government to what absolutely. we have absolutely we've look, there's nothing particularly new about this i suppose it's 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 relatively big news in a quiet way for Ireland in, 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 in how you look at the journey of where it is they've come from. If you go back to the 1980s and Danny, Danny Morrison's famous kind of adage that you know the arm light in one hand and the ballot box in the other hand, have you travelled full circle now or have you travelled full length that you're just the ballot box in both hands? And if you look at their performance, you can see them as a party of protest, yes, in the doll over since they've been in there. Mary Lou MacDonald, a potential Taoiseach, the leader herself, you know, arranging sit-ins because she didn't like the, um, the, the performance of the Keon Corla. That's only just a short number of years ago, which would be kind of slightly eyebrow-raising, you know, put you almost in the kind of old Fianna Fáil thing from the 30s, it'd be slightly constitutional. Um, from the Ardesh last week, I think you had a couple of significant moves. I think it's probably the biggest, I suppose, um, one, and it's one that's it's a controversial piece of um, legislation that comes before the Oireachtas every year. It's been there since the 1970s and was brought in specifically to deal with the threat from Republicans, and that was the Special Criminal Court. They established the Special Criminal Court. That has to be voted on every June to keep it in place. Um, a bit like the COVID legislation now that's been voted on every couple of months, but this has been in place now for nearly 50 years. Sinn Féin have traditionally always voted against that. You know, um, it's a part of their DNA, and this would be coming from, you know, they're an all-Ireland party. This would be coming from very strongly from a Belfast influence in the party as well. You can't, you can't support that piece of legislation that kind of creates those courts um, without a jury um, in Ireland. Um, they seem, they appear, and this came from the Ard Corlea at the um, Ardesh last weekend, a softening of their stance, a softening of their stance in relation to the Special Criminal Court. But that's a significant change in their um, outlook um, to the 
Irish Republic. Did last year, did they walk out of the they vote abstained. last year? They abstained. Yeah, actually, that was the, probably the first indicator that something might be happening in relation to this. They abstained from the vote um, last June, which I suppose is sometimes people abstain. You know, it, it's, it's kind of quietly accepted by the powers that be that um, you mightn't be for it, but you're not going to vote against. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be quite as, 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 as out there. It's, it's, it's a device that's used in Parliament and and. and county councils and GAA clubs you know right around the country um, it's a kind of a, a you know it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's a part of democracy in it's a way. exactly no it's fine it, you it, just it, don't want abstain. to vote yeah you just don't want to kind of express an opinion yeah. explicitly on it at that given time so it looks like from the Ardesh with their Ardcolia um, motion um, that they are recognising that this is a bit of an issue perhaps for them it's an issue that's exploited every single time and it will be exploited in the next election Fianna Fáil Fine Gael especially, um, when it comes to Sinn Féin and, and the rule of law and justice and the courts and legislation. So it's maybe a little nod towards dealing with that. So that's, I think, a fairly significant change with Sinn Féin on this. Like I say, it's not unusual. Any party who wants to assume power um, does have to adapt and change. The Labour Party in England back in Tony Blair's years or leading up to Tony Blair in 1997, they had to renounce some articles that were very true to certain membership. Article 4, I think, or Section 4 of their party's constitution in relation to unions and uh, the influence they had over the party. They had to move away from that to make themselves appealing to the broader electorate. And, and that's re- what they renamed doing themselves. The they call them New Labour. New Labour. Yeah, like so uh, these things do happen. And that's one side of it. That's a significant and big side of it for Sinn Féin, that whole justice, law, courts um, side of things. But the economic evolution and development of the Sinn Féin party is just as interesting to see that. That's where they really have to um, yeah, that, that's convince. Where, that, that's where they have to up their game. And I think that the people that would have been in, mightn't have fully agreed with their past but would be prepared to give them a chance sort of have looked at their economic policies and sort of go, oh, this is total tiddlywink yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Now, they have, a, they have some very capable operators. Well, you have probably one of the top, well, uh, from, a, from an opposition point of view, um, geez, his name's just gone from me, the guy from Donegal, uh, Pierce Doherty, um, he, yeah. excellent. You as could only describe him as an, an excellent yeah. finance spokesperson. He has come up with and he has identified issues uh, in various finance bills. He has identified issues, you know, in the doll, in how it is that finance is administered. Um, and there's no doubt but that he would be a very um, qualified and a very good minister for finance in, in any government. So you can see their, their, their policy, it always comes down to the policy on taxation. You know, they do kind of, or they have presented themselves as a kind of a uh, tax the rich and expand public services, you know, that type of political party. Um, sometimes, um, you know, when you, dr- when you, you get drink into down the, or get into the nitty gritty of yeah. what it is they're proposing, no more so than any political party, you kind of say, well, look, that's a bit for the boards, it's not quite right. But they are, as a party, economically moving away, I suppose, from where it is that they were as a kind of a almost Marxist um, type economics. You even famously remember two elections ago when Jerry Adams was 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 leader in one of the leaders' debates. His grasp on economic affairs was Poor. tenuous, to say the <laughs> least. Um, that, yeah. that was been that that's that's been pretty kind and kind to him. Um, but again, you know, it just shows the evolution um, of the party 
Um, yeah, has, it, has his retirement also kind of done something in relation to him stepping away? Yeah, maybe that that group. They, no, they are coming directly from the troubles. They are coming directly from the 1970s. You got to remember that Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness were negotiating with Ted Heath in the 1970s for IRA ceasefires, like you know, as young men. So you were no more so than any political party at any point in history and we have to admit the same thing is there for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael but just that it was the 1920s and the 1930s um, this is what we're experiencing or this is what we're actually witnessing now at the moment yeah um, you could say it took 100 years for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to sort of get together and sort of you know agree to go into government together but you can argue that the, the historical leaders Paisley um, Adams McGuinness the only one that's still there is Adams, but he's sort of retired. Well, he's, he's effectively, kind of, yeah, retired now. You know, if you have passed on and, and are no longer alive, and that any of the younger people growing up, no more than you know anyone under the age of, you know, twenty would sort of be asking themselves, "What's a newspaper?" Yeah. Anyone under the age of forty, a lot of them won't remember what the troubles were. Mm. Would you also say that it that it says an awful lot about? Um, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael today as well, where you would have imagined, let's say, if you were thinking this, if you were back in whatever, in 2005, and you said, oh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael together in the future would be like a superpower. Yeah. And here we are looking at the possibility of Sinn Féin being the next government down the line. Mm. Yet, let's say, what would have been the traditional big guns are together, but yet we're looking at Sinn Féin being the, the future government. Well, you see, look, if you look at it now at this stage, post-2016, I suppose, really, 2011 was a watershed election in that you kind of obliterated Fianna Fáil. But then 2016, it's the kind of the, the, the diluting and the wearing down, and 2020 is where we're inevitably at now. You have this fragmentation of the party political system in Ireland. It's not just a, a given that Fianna Fáil will get a majority and that you might create... And then you had Fianna Fáil aren't quite on a majority, but they can create a coalition with a smaller partner like the PDs or the Labour Party or the mm. Greens or whatever. And then you might have a Fianna Gael, you might have a rainbow coalition. Now you've got this three-way split between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin. It remains to be seen, does it remain a three-way split? Does it become a two-way split again um, at this stage? So we're going to have this coalition kind of significant broader coalition type governments there's no doubt about it we're going to have those now for the future see tom we grew up when there was majority Fianna Fáil. yeah majority right? Fianna Fáil, yeah and, and the, this whole thing you look at germany and every, uh, most countries across europe it's been coalitions for donkeys years yeah. and the whole concept you know it's a charlie i think was charlie was the first man to go into coalition you know, 1989 with the progressive democrats you know, and, and before and that it was a sacrosanct, a sacrosanct you know, issue you cannot have coalition governments yeah. for Fianna Fáil. So you 1989 would be the first, you know. So uh, which, which at this stage is 30 years, you know, it's over 30, 30, you know, 30 years ago. But we'll say things are moving on, and we'll say next time around. I, I don't think we're going to say um, if you looked at it, we'll say if there was an election in the morning. I don't think Sinn Fein would sort of walk away at a full majority. They have to go in power with somebody yes, else. This is and this is the key question, and this is the the dance of the seven veils that you're going to see now over the, and this will form part of the 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 show if you want to call it that that's wrong to call it that but it, it will form part of the narrative yeah. who will be, dan- be dancing with who there will be as much time spent in the next what are we at it could be a couple of more years but there will be as much time spent on are you going in with Sinn Féin no are you going in with Sinn Féin you will yeah. I know you will I know you're going to do it no you're going to do it that will form as much of the narrative 
as anything else. Now, if Sinn Féin, as, and as, just going back to what we were saying, if they are lessening the kind of the bogeyman type stuff, the criminal court stuff, the economic stuff, well, then it, that is clever politics on their behalf, that it's not as easy then for people to throw mud at them. It just indicates to me that they are serious at this stage about becoming part of a government. Yeah, and I think that's something that couldn't always have been said about them. No, right? most definitely and, not. And Even as late as 2020. Yeah, I, I think they to, to a certain extent. They, they, they said, vote for all of us, but no, we don't really want to be in government. No, no, know? they were not serious in 2020 about forming a government. No, the interest, we all talk about in terms of the three-way split, the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin. So, you know, by definition, it sounds as if you have to have two of those three in any government to create a stable well, not government. Ne- not necessarily. No, this is, yeah, yeah, this is it, this is it. So, yeah, but you do kind of, so if they both stay, if they all stay on kind of 30, 30, 30, you know, or kind of up to 40, maybe. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to, especially if they're up at 40 each, you know, it's very hard then to actually, very hard to put a government together without having two of those main well, players. Well, I, I put it, to you, you, I, I put, I put it, it to you, Paul. I, I think if we had an election in the morning, I can't see Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael getting anywhere near 40. Okay. Right? Now, I don't think the Greens are going to do as well. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we have to come on and talk about uh, climate action in a few minutes, uh, which is sort of like a green agenda. I don't know what Labour are going to do. I don't know are the sort of smaller groupings Social going Democrats. to do what they're doing. Social so Democrats. The only other thing then, so is that is that is that Sinn Fein go up to sixty-five seats or something like that? Yeah. Is that what you think? I th- I think I couldn't rule that out. Hmm. They might get sixty, sixty-five, but I think they could certainly get north of fifty. Okay. Right, and then the query would be, do they maybe go with Say for argument's sake, just say if Labour had ten seats, just for yeah, argument's so sake, that would bring them to six, sixty-five. 60, still sixty-five. They're fifteen short, but if they got a sort of independence, no, yeah. What they did say, what they did say, and I presume they would still pursue it, is that they wanted a, a government of the left. Mm. But like the nature of the left, and Sinn Féin are part of this. The nature of the left in Ireland has always been fragmentation, has always been split, has always been internal fighting. So can you create a government of four parties perhaps, or three parties and a number of independents on that basis? It's difficult to see it. And they are pragmatic politicians, Sinn Féin as well. And who's the most pragmatic of them all? Fianna Fáil. This is, no, this is, it's the DNA. (laughs) It's the DNA kicks in. Whilst you're in a a weak place or maybe even going to become weaker, it's the DNA that will kick in here, I think, in that you have to have, I cannot see you will have Michal, no, he says he will lead the party into the next election. I just can't see it. I think his time is up when he he vacates the Taoiseach's chair um, this time, 12 months. So then you have a Fianna Fáil leadership election because you need a leader to be kind of gently eased into an election campaign for 2025 yeah. you know you need him to be able to kind of create his own cabinet kind of create his own dyna- dynamism yeah. create his own try and get a bump get a bump get a go yes, get the party going again yeah. so i think the Fianna Fáil leadership battle while it will stay ostensibly about Fianna Fáil there will be a part of that that won't be acknowledged that will be throwing eyes in the direction of Sinn Féin. Right. And Sinn, who, would, who would be the candidates, let's say, for the, the Michal Martin before, seat? Before we spoke about candidates, it's the 4th of November 2021. Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin for the next government. Put your money on it. 
You, you've heard it here. You've heard it here. <laughs> 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 no, that's it. Well, I, yeah. Nowadays, you could rule nothing out. But Fianna Fáil, Tom, are male, pale, and stale. Right? What? Discuss? <laughs> no, you're, you're talking about who could who could lead them. Do you know who? who could lead well, them? We we have a great line uh, in people I'm connected with. with uh, the great line. Sometimes you're so far out, you're back in again. <laughs> Barry Cowan. Barry Cowan. Yeah. Not beyond the realms of possibility. Um, not beyond the realms of possibility. It's, it's too, I suppose Jim O'Callaghan is there. These, there's a few people sitting out there, out there like Barry Cowan and Jim O'Callaghan, yeah. and kind of waiting to see, I suppose, what way things evolve. Then the people that are within, if you want to look at, have a look at those, Michael McGrath from Cork South Central, Minister for um, Public Expenditure and Reform. I've been disappointed, Paul. Very low key. Yeah. Um, in fairness, the two ministers in that department, in, in, in that finance, Pascal Donoghue and uh, Michael McGrath, and it's a good thing, probably, possibly, more than likely, most definitely, to have yeah. low key, not razzmatazz. Maybe that's the role that Michael McGrath actually likes, um, and they can do a lot of good work. Uh, they say that that role is going to change. That the Pascal, Dunne, the Fine Gael person, becomes the PER. In the next gov- in the next um, iteration, around, yeah. and that Michael McGrath goes to finance. That's what they say. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, no, you wouldn't have Razmataz, but who's you know, he could come out of the blocks if he feels there is an opportunity. Um, O'Callaghan, Cowan. There's your kind of rural, and there's your urban. Urbane, yeah, urban urbane. Uh, it, um, would Norma Foley throw her hat in the ring because she's a woman? I, 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 I sort of mean that in a sexist way, yeah. because she is one of the only female politicians that they have, and sort of, you know, if they're trying to appeal, she's not to strong. the general. I don't think she's strong enough as a leader. As, as, as a, I don't think so. Anyway, I don't think so. The one you would have thought, but she kind of had a speed bump. Um, would have been Lisa Chambers yep. um, up in Mayo, but she's now in the Senate. Uh, you know, and, and that, that, that's not an easy there, job not, in the you're, Senate. You're not going to be leader. No, you're not going to be leader from the from, from you're not the going to be leader from the Senate. No, um, it's difficult. It's difficult to see. Now they're not quite as old male and stale as what it is that they were when that comment came out first. I think that was back in the kind of twenty. I think. 2013, 2014, around they're that time. They're not far off, Paul. Yeah, not a whole uh, lot. But there are uh, Anne Rabbit here down in and not, not a leader, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Luke, you were saying about um, Sinn Féin getting up to 65 seats. Have they got the characters on the ground to be voted for? But sure, I they mean, didn't, you have, have, they didn't have them the last time. Well, you see, well, that's what I, but that's what, I know that's what I'm saying, but like, for example, in Clare, they would have got, um, they got uh, a vote... Um, from a lady that we really didn't know too much about, yeah. and people said, "Oh, if they ha- what 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 would have happened mm. if they had added another candidate? Yeah, would would they have pulled in another person?" And I'm just saying, from a political point of view, are you just voting for the party, or are you voting for the person mm. that's in your local area? Well, you always Does have a certain you yeah. always have a certain element of voting for the person, depending on the profile that uh, they may or may but have. That's I, I, she was certainly a yeah. vote for the party in Clare. Yeah, absolutely, win. totally, yeah. totally, because you could see what she had done in the just six months previously in the council election, which was a very poor yeah. performance, and then to turn that around by February. I think what you will see, you'll see a combination of that, Thomas. You'll see, you know, you you have a, a strong 
kind of local representative in county councils right around the country. I think what you will start to see now as they start to produce candidates for seats and the wind is at their back, as it seems to be, um, you'll start to see a few celebrity candidates, maybe uh, strategically five or six of those maybe around the country. You know, Which has been employed by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil. Yeah, Country, has been, applied, past, it's yeah. been applied by all the other parties. So you'll probably yeah. start to see a little bit of that. So is it, is it going to be a, a change of government at, at all costs? Just to just to basically change the government by saying right, okay, we have three three Sinn Fein candidates or two Sinn Fein candidates. We're going to vote for one and two for them. Just that we get Sinn Fein in. Yeah, the dynamics of an actual election campaign are often hard. Well, they're they're impossible to predict. Um, none, and none is the same as the one that went previously. They're always different. This one could be totally different. But you do get a sense that Fine Gael are deadened. They've been in power for too long. Yeah. You know, you Too do long. get that sense yeah, at this uh, point th in there time. There was that sense after the last election yeah, that they, there had, was. they had enough. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think... They kind of admitted it themselves. Yeah. yeah. They kind of did themselves, actually. Yeah. yeah. So you get the sense that they're not going to be... Um, have much momentum unless yeah. they can create this kind of fear of Sinn Féin type of thing. And I just think that's a dead dog at this stage. Mm. Like, you know, um, it's hard to see. The only... You can see momentum for Sinn Féin. That's about it. And you can glimpse the potentiality of something in Fianna Fáil with a change of leadership. Um, and what about but it's only what a flicker. It's only a mm. flicker. Oh, let's say combined with, uh, let's say, uh, some new characters on the ground as well. Possibly personalities, like Luke was saying, that let's just say you, you, Sinn Féin could get personalities, but Fianna oh. Fáil are notorious for, for bringing no, them in. No, they won't now. No. Not so late. No. Personality-driven politics only happens when the, kind of, when, the, when the wind is at your back. You know, when things are going good, no personality type politician, and this isn't, it's, it's not, it's, I'm, I'm not pejoratively speaking about it, but no personality type politician wants to get in and get dirty. You know, they want to kind of ride on the crest of a wave. And that's why, look, it works like that. Yeah, it works like that. You know, they don't want to just spend the dog days of campaigning day in, day out with, you know, everything going, with a lot of things going against you. Campaigns. Election campaigns are always about momentum. You know, if momentum is with you, it's brilliant. You're just motoring. Uh, if it's uh, against you, it's torture. Exactly. And you talk about the man that if he sort of had a bit more patience, could have wound up with a very important position uh, and was a celebrity, George Lee. George Lee. Mm, gave, it, yeah. gave it nine months. If he had waited another nine, he could have wound up <laughs> in an important place. And the irony of it all, where we're going to finish up today, is oh, we're going to nice. talk about the environment. Oh, very good. I like the way you did that. And who is now back uh, in RT. The environmental correspondent, <laughs> the same Mr. Lee with his free car parking space and the dog for life. But, but anyway, today is a momentous day and, and I'm going to sound, if I sound a little bit um, jaded, I do sound jaded because personally I don't believe half this nonsense. But anyway, there's a new climate plan. And you know, uh, we, we've spoken before about, uh, uh, alluded to Callan's kicks uh, w with Michael Newland, who was spending millions and billions. And we all had a great laugh about it and thought it was quite good. And the thought of, you know, a billion pounds or a billion euros was huge. Mm. And then you start to see what we had to do to bail out the banks. And that was mega ginormous. And now it's only pale money, <laughs> right? Because this thing is 125 billion climate plant cut emissions for the rest of the decade. Fossil fuel heating to be phased out in public buildings, an issue that has come to Clare County Council. Mm. The building, the 20 years ago. 20, uh, or well, not 15, 15, years, yeah, 15, ago, 15 years, ago. years ago. New transport yeah. electrification target set. I have a big issue with that. And there, there's loads of different things. And I would say this has been recorded on Thursday morning, so it's been officially announced. 
in the afternoon. Senior sources said ministers in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were taken aback by the huge cost proposed by Minister for Climate Change, Eamon Ryan, and officials from his department, the Green mm. side of things, of course, who you would like to think this is probably one of their key yeah. key things, and uh, what, what they stand for as a party. So it, it's understood there's little disagreement over the percentage reduction that each of the main sectors, agriculture, transport, energy and in industry, will have to bear. But and this is where, Paul, we're going to come back to East mm. Clare, and, and it's a topic that you know an awful lot about. A key element, sources have said, is agriculture, which will be expected to achieve reductions of 21% between now and 2030. Now, the Taoiseach and senior ministers have insisted this target can be met without reductions in the national herd. I don't think that's possible. No, from, it can't. From my it can't. It's a little bit like... It they've, can't. They've Not in the time frame they're no, talking about. They've spoken about having a million electric cars on the road by 2030. Horse mm. uh, methane, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> or, or cow methane. Call it any type of methane that you want. It's not going to happen. They don't have it. We don't do planning. We don't do sort of a thinking ahead in this country. And I'll just give you one mm -hmm. big example of it. What, what's the buzzword, Tom, in relation to energy in this country at the minute? Oh, the buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> what are we trying to get rid of and what are we trying to bring in? Uh, wind farms. Correct. Good Tom. man. Good even man. And we'll say... Even a specific type of them? Yeah. For Clare? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, money point. Oh, okay. I do, I, yeah. uh, oh, no, yeah. offshore, <laughs> offshore wind top. Yeah. offshore wind. Mm. You always have you always have a bit of a yeah. breeze outside, don't you? You do. <laughs> you do. And, and, and we say there's a, there's enough controversy in the country and in, the, in not a million miles away from here with a, a decision on a, a an in, land an based wind farm, ba yeah. based wind farm. But you don't have to be a rocket scientist to start to figure out that we're an island. We've plenty of water, plenty of mm. uh, prospects to do it. This morning, breaking news. The ESB had been in a partnership to develop a 2 billion euro wind farm off the coast of Clare, but Norway's Equinor has pulled out of the deal due to dissatisfaction with Ireland's regulatory and planning regime. Right? Is that we can't do this type of stuff, we can't plan, we can't put in proper things in, in future. Now, do you know who Equinor are, Tom? Did you say Danish? Norwegian. Norwegian. Okay. They're, yeah. well, they're previously known as a company you'd be well aware of. Okay, no. Stations. Statoil, yeah. The, the, the Norwegian Wealth Fund, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. They, the Norwegians are a clever bunch of people. So they're they transferring their, their emphasis on, on they, uh, oil. They've been yes. using the money, the money that they've generated from, from the oil. North Sea. From the invest. North Sea to invest mm. in the future. Mm. They were yeah, planning, like you say. This yeah. is a long, this has been a long, they, 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 had, they kept it within the state and they've used that to invest for a generation. If you look at the semi-state sector in Ireland, again, it's so mishmash. You know, you have Bordnemona, you have ESB, you have Quilcha. They're all taking a little slice of the renewable pie, but there isn't a kind of an overall overarching strategy for one semi-state body like Equinor, like the Statoil, to actually deal with it. So Bordnemona is trying to protect its flanks. Oh God, we're, 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 we're doomed here when it comes to peat and when it comes to the bogs. So we, we become renewables. So they'll have produce a fancy report, they'll produce a lovely kind of set of kind of data for the whole thing. And 100 yards down the road, Quilch are doing the same. 100 yards down the road, ESB are doing the same. So you're diluting your ability to actually deal with it by having so many different actors 
at it. And, the, and the irony of it now is that if you, if you want to get your traditional board pneumonia, Irish peat briquette, you have to get imported from Europe. Lithuania, well, oh, it's, it's, it's utterly daft. Well, I'm just going to talk about this. Uh, the Norwegian company was in a partnership with ESB since tw- uh, 2019. The aim being to deliver a large portion of the 80% of electricity which the country aspires to generate from renewables by 2030. So now this is eight years' time, Tom. 80%. Okay, it's currently, around, it's currently around 35. Is it 35? Yeah. yeah, depending on what day the wind is blowing, right? But uh, that's what, what it is. And so this was an article in today's Irish Examiner. And it says that one of the main reasons for the company's decision was dissatisfaction with the regular, regulatory and planning regime that currently exists for offshore energy development. The company formally said I contacted DSB in recent weeks to announce it was pulling out of the partnership. Last April, the partnership announced it was set to develop a major 1.4 gigawatt offshore wind farm near Money Point in County Clare using floating technology to be built at a cost of two, two billion, not 125, two. two. Okay, and if I could say it right, I should have been a bit of inflation. It might go to three, right? Okay, but just bear in mind now, Tom, right? Three billion, right? When up and running, it was expected to produce enough energy to power one and a half million houses. With massive contribution, that's a significant contribution right? to get into the 80%. Absolutely. One and a half million houses. You've said it twice there now, I think you've said it deliberately, you've said it twice. It's the regulatory and planning system that is in Ireland. And we have that, no matter what, whether I'm a farmer here in a scheme, or whatever it is, if you're on a board of management for a school, whatever it is, we seem to be able to put layer upon layer Layer upon layer of bureaucracy bureaucracy and and self-serving public service onto the ability to do things. Yeah, and, and then someone from uh, someone from 100 miles away can write in a protest and uh, sort of block yeah. it up for another period of time. An application for a foreshore licence was made at the time and prep work was done for a planning application. It's unclear whether it was a lack of progress in this specific project that prompted Equinor to pull out. Now, you talk about corporate PR. Here's the ESB. Last night they confirmed the decision but said it remains fully committed to developing a major portfolio of offshore projects. Uh, quote, Following a review by Equinor of its strategy to develop profitable growth in renewables, they decided to stop their early phase offshore wind activities in Ireland, in part due to local regulatory uncertainty. That is coming from the ESB. Mm. Yeah, well that's, I mean, that's, I mean they've, they've flagged it, I mean, both the, the Norwegian company yeah. and the ESB. And ESB I mean, have gone a little further. Local regular, when they mean local, what do they mean? Clare County Council or do they mean local to Ireland? Oh. You know. The Maritime Area Planning Bill is the foundation for offshore renewable energy in Ireland and is expected to be enacted by Christmas, according to a spokesperson for the Environmental Minister, Eamon Ryan. Now, I'm going to come up with my ultimate line here, which Christmas, <laughs> right? Because this should have been up and running a few years ago. They state, there will be an offshore energy auction in 2022 and we expect to see projects built by 2025. We note the decision of this company to exit the market. However, there are dozens of other companies competing to develop Ireland's competitive advantages in offshore wind. Sources in the wind energy development sector say there are major problems with the regime at the moment as the applications for developments are mounting and the new maritime area planning bill is still going through the Oireachtas. Quote, the main regulatory framework is decades old with various amendments. But the problem is that the new authority will not be up and running possibly for another couple of years. An authority has to be actually created. Correct. Well, and, and with and the legislation. Exactly. 
<coughs> and says, in the meantime, enough resources have not been put in to operate the existing system. There are backlogs, and it will get work. It will get worse as the market for wind energy ramps up over the coming years. But you see, years. this is easy, and it's not like you know this has been a surprise. You know, right at on their shore. <laughs> as yeah. they try to develop offshore wind, is Money Point. We have known for years that Money Point was going to have to close because it was so dependent on dirty coal. Yeah. So it, it, We it, agreed it, to shut it by 2025. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous that that bill is still trying to navigate its way through the Oireachtas. And then subsequent to having the bill, you've got to put this regulatory framework yeah. of an authority <coughs> in place as well, which again will take time. And this whole thing with the foreshore licenses, is they're not being granted. And the whole system just isn't there. No, the, the, our issue, and it's, like I say, it's from, from, from locally to what you're involved in, to internationally what you're involved in. We have this burden of administration that we seem to actually enjoy putting in place, no matter what it is. It's a very strange way of operating. And in the context of climate change, um, we're kind of running out of road. So it's all very well to have the big fancy report yeah. going out today or to have the it's lovely fancy presentation for Glasgow. But there's actually nuts and bolts. There's actually stuff needs to be done on this thing. Like, you, know, you don't need to have the, the, the fancy backdrop on television from Glasgow. You know, just bloody go and do it. Just do yeah. the work. It's, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's crap yeah. that you would be, that that bill would be still trying to navigate its way through the Duroctus. Absolutely. Now, just in relation to the cost of this new great plan, 125 billion, the main difficulty for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, surprise, surprise, has been the massive cost as well as the lack of details in the proposals. Mm. It was pointed out that the figures on the face would far exceed the allocation to climate change measures announced in the new National Development Plan, which was published only last month. Okay? Yeah. So this is less than a month after and it's that last big hoo-ha about what they were coming out with the figures are now changed. So sure. Whatever you're having yourself. Exactly. And said the sources said it lacked granular detail and it was very hard to see if the figures added up and what funding would be public and what would be private. Said one figure with knowledge of the process. Now here's where we bring it back to the farmers. The focus of discussions at the Cabinet Subcommittee revolved around getting more precise information ensuring that the plan was in keeping with other key government strategies. Climate change measures in the uh, development plan over the next nine years are difficult to measure, but will be upwards of 50 billion, which includes more than 9 billion drawn from carbon tax revenues and 30 billion for sustainable transport. However, the prospect of a large protest over its climate plan has increased after the IFA told members and their families to gather in the capital on the 21st of November. IFA President Tim Cullinan said they chose to protest on a Sunday to limit disruption to the people of Dublin. However, uh, the gathering on the 21st of November just happens to coincide with an Ireland-Argentina rugby match, for which I'd say the farmers have a bit of an issue in relation to uh, Argentinian <laughs> beef uh, uh, co coming in as well. It's a case, Paul, trying to bring this back to East Clare. Yeah. Uh, the whole argument in relation to um, the national herd, and you have the Taoiseach and the Taunus just saying, oh, we don't need to do anything with the national herd figures. I don't believe it can be done. You don't believe it can be done. You you know an awful, an awful more, uh, more about this in relation to me. And just, we, we sort of talk about methane gas and mm. we sort of think it's about sort of cows farting, but it's not actually farting. Mm. It's stuff coming out of their mouths, if I'm mm -hmm. led to, led yeah, to breathing. Yeah. You know, we, and we, farting. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Explain to me what has happened, we'll say, with the national herd in the last few years that everybody was encouraged to do, yeah. as in, if, if I understand it right, increase it. And now they're talking about it needs to be cut. You know, it's, it's increased by a very small amount. 
but there's been a reallocation within the national herd. If you take the national herd, you break it down into dairy stock and you break it down into beef stock. There's approximately, I think, about 7 million bovines in the country. For the last five years, since quotas went, the dairy stock, the dairy stock has been increasing, and pretty significantly increasing. And in, and in increasing the dairy side of things, at the same point in time, the beef side of things, the suckler cow, which is a kind of a staple around here in North East Clare, has been decreasing for a number of different reasons. You know, the age of farmers, the, the suitability of the beef cows to the land, all those type of things. So it has remained relatively static over the last number of years. I think it's about 80,000 out of 7 million up um, for this year. So now they're saying, and Ursula van der Leyen described this in Glasgow this week as picking the low-hanging fruit when it comes to climate change to address the issue of methane. So we're saying we're going to reduce our methane output by X amount over the next 10 years. And in doing that, we're not going to um, have to reduce the national herd. I just don't think it can be done. The reasons they say we don't have to reduce the national herd are because of genomics. And in fairness, the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation, the ICBF, have been doing a lot of research and a lot of data. We're all as farmers now inputting data every November in relation to the animals it is that we have. And that then will feed into bloodlines for the future, whereby this animal will mature more quickly. You know what I mean? So that mm -hmm. means they won't be on the earth long enough to produce the same methane that another bullock or whatever might produce. Do you know what I mean? So we're working on that genomics of cattle to get the best and most advantaged animal from a methane perspective on farms. We're working, but we're not going to achieve that. We're not going to get to that point by 2030. This could take another 10 years before yeah. we have the data in place to actually you know, it's a bit like they're after saying here again that they're going to have a million cars, electric cars yeah, on the road. It's, it's, it's not going to it's happen. A headline, it's a headline thing. It's, not, yeah, and it's, 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 it's disingenuous to be saying it because yeah. it, 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 it doesn't reflect properly then to, on people that are trying to do the best it is that they can. So they like the headline, the 125 billion, the 1 million cars, the public transport, the, the whatever reduction in, in, in methane. But it doesn't reflect the reality. This is hard work. We've left, uh, we, we, we haven't done enough about it for long enough but in fairness to agriculture and you might say i would say that wouldn't i but agriculture has been the whipping boy in relation to climate change for a long time and they have been trying to do the best job they possibly can so genomics is one way of doing it the second another way of doing it is through the diet of the animals that you're actually um that you're actually keeping on your farm you know so there is work and there's efforts to try and do it but it's a complex system you know it's 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 we tend to be purely from the headline point of view here, and farming is a part of that. We tend to grab something that appears sexy for the media, and we go with that, and we don't look at it from an overall point of view. And overall, it's methane, it's carbon storage, it's biodiversity, it's transportation. There are so many elements to it, but we tend to politically just go for uh, the yeah, part. Part. And that means right. that you won't actually achieve what it is you want to achieve ultimately yeah. if you're not prepared i know we haven't got time i know we haven't got we can't be patient about it but there's no point because we're just going to waste a couple of years thinking it's all sorted when yeah. it isn't right 22 to 30 percent reduction in carbon emissions for agriculture 44 to 56 percent reduction for the housing industry and the business sector will have to cut between 29 and 41 that's crap yeah Instead of sort of saying we need to do X, Y, and Z percentage-wise, you need sort of say, right, lads, 
by January 2025, there's 100,000 houses in the country that need to have energy put into their houses. Yeah. That's something you'd say, okay, that's a big figure, we could try to go to that. Not this 21%, Mm. 29% reductions. So it's nonsense. Yeah. Sorry, no, I should stop ranting now. Well, you've got an overall thing, and nobody has actually ever, the only person I've ever heard kind of mildly starting to possibly address it is that if and this is this going to basics when it comes to we accept we all accept climate change is an issue but the most basic thing if you take our economic model the model that we have pursued the model that has been very successful for us at this point in life relatively successful is this economic growth model that we have to consume and we have to have this endless economic Specul- growth. Speculate to accumulate. Yeah. So we, we have this endless growth. All our figures are dependent on having economic growth. But we're on a planet that has a finite, you know, we, we have lots of resources, but we have a finite set of resources, set of resources. So you can't have a system that's based on continuous growth from a body that has a finite set of resources. By definition, it can't work. So until we actually start to deal with that concept, are we going to keep using, or oh, we have to be 5% um, of GDP next year or else everybody is kind of in an awful bind altogether about it? Like, you know, until you actually get down to that core level of dealing with it, you might as well be talking to the wall as talking about methane or talking about anything else. You know, it's, it's, only, it's only headline stuff. It's only trying to create a scenario. It's not really definitively dealing with the thing. And I think that's the opportunity we've missed here again this week. And we yeah. will miss in reading that report that will be out there now later this afternoon. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. It will be lots of headlines. COP26, cop the hell on, not going yeah. to happen. Tom? Just listen to, to, to Paul. I was thinking of loads of stuff. I was thinking of the, the way we recycle and the whole element of, for many years, tourists coming over to, to stay with us and saying how wonderful the Irish beef was in comparison to, Switzer, to Switzerland yeah. or other countries. It's one of the things that we, we produce very, very well. Yeah. And, you know, from a point of view of a, a product coming out of Ireland, the beef is of one of the highest standards yeah. in Europe. I suppose, like Luke, I would be very cynical, although the other night I saw a program on a, on a Danish and an island off Denmark that have gone completely carbon neutral. They will be carbon neutral mm. by 20 something or other, but they've done extreme things, not just with wind turbines, but they're also um, providing hot water to half of the island with one big timber burning front, but they've, they've had to repipe the whole island. Yeah. To, and uh, they have something like, I don't know, 30,000 people on the island or whatever. But the thing is, they've gone to extreme measures, but they're getting very, very close. But they mm. started a long, long time yeah, ago. This is the point. We've Correct. had loads of opportunities. We haven't. And you I know. just feel that this, and we're, we are running out of road on it. Like, Absolutely. You know. And that goes back to the whole thing about not sort of planning. They announced, I think, seven or eight years ago, Money Point would be closed by 2025. Yeah. Okay. And <coughs> earlier this year, they basically announced that, uh, you know, Money Point might sort of stay open. But this is what we do. And we've done it in a we, They look for a derogation. <coughs> we, we have a derogation. There'll be a financial crisis, so we need a derogation. We have to keep Money Point open for two more years. We have it with nitrates in farming. You know, I have a derog- I've got 500 cows on my farm. I can't accommodate all the nitrogen it is there, all the, the waste it is that I produce. So I need a derogation from the rules that are there. You know, that's the easy option. We always pick the easy option. But like I say, it takes time. Unfortunately, we're running out of time in pursuing it the way we have pursued it for the length of time it is that we have pursued it. 
So, speaking of running out of time, Tom, I think we're nearly at an end of a show, which will probably turn into two episodes. The, you might have heard a sort of a beep in there a while ago. That was the clock sort of running out of time. <laughs> Our internal timer here in, in the show. So, you'll be listening back to us either all at once or uh, a one for all job. It's very special, though. It's very special. Anyway, good, good to be back at the whole venture. We, we might try and get a, a, Chris, a, Christmas, a, a Christmas edition yeah. bef- before, before we finish. The, the one thing, uh, we, we didn't even talk about the budget. Nobody cares. It's be, kind of become like that, though, I noticed in the last number of years. You know, they've, yeah. they've become, compared to the kind of the flashbang of the 2008s, 2009s, the double mm. budgets of 2009, you know, they have become a little bit like that. Mm. Yeah. I saw from, from all reports the Exchequer was, was, was up in their funds and bits and pieces higher than expectations. So that's, a, that's, something, yeah. that's something good from a point of view of, of revenue coming into the government to be able to look to future projects, whether it's green or otherwise. Yeah. Okay, we're going to wrap it up for another edition of El Politico till we speak again on the airwaves. Take care for now. Until then.